song you just heard is Always Online by New Jersey, a band from New Jersey, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm Phil Schneider. And this is Phil and Nick Explain Wrestling to each other. Uh, exciting episode today, Phil. Uh, we have two interesting matches. Uh, one uh, you've called much less good than the other, which is hurtful because it's my favorite match of all time. Uh, and two very different matches. The first one we'll be discussing this week is... Uh, my favorite match of all time, if you've ever read any of my Ringer columns where I mention it, it is uh, the British Bulldog and the Warlord from WrestleMania 7. And what match did you pick, Phil? Uh, I picked uh, Jonichiro Tenro and Takashi Ishikawa uh, versus Shinya Hashimoto and Ricky Chosho from War. Yes, uh, from the April 2nd show, um, uh, I did a little bit of research and John Tenta was also on that show, which is an exciting bit of... Yeah. War, yeah. War was notorious for its absolutely insane cards where it would just have like you'd have, you know, a lot of fun, weird American guys would be all over war shows. Uh, Rio Lord of the Jungle, who was like the yeah. who was like the renegade, was worked that show, too, I think. I think that's the who he worked against, actually, uh, is. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember just... that match being great. Tenta had some fun stuff yeah. in war. Uh uh haku had some fun stuff in war there was some those guys had good matches yeah actually it's uh king haku dick slater and then tenta real lord of the jungle are the two two matches in a row yeah kaku dick slater is pretty good i think i think the version we have of it is somewhat cleft but that's pretty good dick slater is is obviously an icon as is haku but war was that was like the thing about wars. You look at these cards and like what? I mean, it's really the AEW in a lot of ways does this as a lot of spirit of war stuff. Like the Keith Lee, Orange Cassidy, Vikingo, uh, six man tag team from last night's Di- Dynamite is a very war ish thing. I saw a lot of people on my uh, feed were joking about uh, Tony Khan's war style booking, where you'd see this thing and like, what these three guys are tagging up with each other. Okay awesome they just walk into the same room we're like all right sounds good uh and then what's uh, kind of funny to me is i was going through the wrestlemania 7 uh match card and uh one of the two matches uh tenru worked in the u.s uh, at uh, wwe that year it was one of the two matches he was on that card he works a tag match with um kitoa I don't. <laughs> uh, Koji Kato. Oh, I got it. Awesome. <laughs> so that yeah, he worked a tag match, and then he worked another match that year. He only, like I said, he only worked two matches that year with uh, with WWE. It was weird. He would do. He had a period. Uh, Tenru had a period from ninety to ninety four where he basically worked like ten matches with WWF. Like that's it. Not like a year. Like ten matches total. Um, and they would be on pay-per-views and stuff. It was very weird. Uh, and like I said, uh, yeah. And Haku is the other person he worked with. And I would assume, uh, Haku returned the favor by coming over. Um, yeah. And they, um, they, there was like a, a WWE, WWF SWS, um, mm-hmm. relationship at that point. SWS was a promotion that Tenru, uh, formed with an eyeglasses company after mm-hmm. he left all Japan that like a, like a eyeglasses company formed their own promotion. And it was like bef- war before war, but it had yeah. like a bigger budget and they would have, uh, they had like a relationship with the WWF. So Tenru wrestled, I think, Flair at one point. He wrestled um, Savage at one point during that like era of SWS. Mm-hmm. And they, and, you know, guys, Rick Martel would come over and work guys. And they had like a sort of a talent sharing thing that was mu- much less about Tenru appearing on you know, as a guy that nobody's heard of on a WWE in a Royal Rumble or something like that. And more about like, you know, the pretty big, big WWF stars coming over and working SWS shows. Yeah. And we'll definitely discuss because war logistically, like you kind of mentioned, is a very weird promotion uh, in terms of like how they did things. Uh, and then you couldn't have a more. It's the best. <laughs> I yeah, I mean that's that's the it's the best. It's like it's all this weird stuff. It's all all pretty universally great. Like I, I basically any war show I've ever seen, uh, there's at least seventy percent of it I love, and even the stuff that's not very good, I usually really like. Um, not necessarily the tr- true about uh, early '90s WWF. 
last six. Wow. Wow. What a transition. Yeah. So uh, the reason I picked this match is because I love it uh, for A, uh, when I saw it on the card and I saw the promos, like I love the whole package of this match. It is one of the first matches that I remember on the rewatch of like the post I got back into wrestling. I watched religiously from the time I was two days home from the hospital to like 11 or 12, like every week, every show. And then it got like too popular uh, in terms of like people would want to talk to me about it. And I, it made it less fun because they, they would have dumb. I wasn't gatekeeping. I was just like, you don't like it for the same reasons I do. I don't like you're wearing the shirt. And you're trying to think like, we like the same stuff. And it, it never really, I don't want to say sat right with me, but I never knew how to talk to people that were fans of like the brawn panties matches and stuff like that from that era of wrestling. So that's why I drifted away. And when I came back, I went through a whole rewatch and this was one of the matches for me where I was genuinely shocked at like how uh, competent it was. And I, like this match in particular because it is kind of the uh, for me the platonic ideal of what the worst match on a wwe card should be uh if the promotion was good does that make sense like this and I, to me saying, when you're saying that i i was ripping on this match it's not as good as a war versus new japan feud <laughs> yeah maybe a dozen things ever in wrestling that are as good as that or close to as good as that but this was like perfectly fine uh yeah exactly in <laughs> wrestling i mean those, these guys are, I, mean, I, I so I, I didn't dislike this match i thought it was it was okay i thought it was good i i, I had a lot. i'm just busting your chops phil come on you gotta know that by now <laughs> right like the crowd was really into it and it helps yeah, mediocre wrestling when the crowd is really into it. It kind of like made mm-hmm. the, and you know, it had like these a couple of like moments that felt you know like Davy Boy Smith breaking the, breaking the full Nelson was a nicely put together piece of professional wrestling. The big power slam, same thing. I mean, Warlord can't fucking move. Right, I mean, that's the issue with this match. It's put together. Yeah, he can't move his arms and legs. He's just so yeah, and so roided up that he has like no like plasticity in any of his in his body at all. So it's kind of hard to like work a wrestling match around a guy who can't like can't move his arms, can't move his legs, and can't move his head and neck, and you know, it's like it's, so yeah, he can take a bump and roll to the outside. He did that, I think, twice in that match. But and I think it kind of speaks to the British bulldog of it all, like. Bulldog was to me like the perfect, they never used him the right way, but in terms of what they wanted, the highest quality person you could have put in the driver's seat, if he wasn't, you know, like a crackhead, uh, would have been somebody like Bulldog, like a big, strong, good looking guy that could really work. Was he dynamite kid? No, but like he was an actively good worker that could put on very good, high impact matches, at least as far as I'm concerned. I'm not a giant dynamite kid guy. I'd probably prefer Davy Boy Smith's career to Dynamite Kid's career. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just like I'm a real low voter on the Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask stuff, which I think is just often mindless and kind of crappy. Like we went through at one point and did watch basically all of the of New Japan in the 1980s to prepare for a Death Valley Driver 80s set. And by the, well, so watching all of that, like Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask, by the end of us, I just hate all this wrestling. So I'm not a huge Dynamite Kid guy. He's got. Some really good stuff in Portland, and he's like super intense, right? In that same way that Benoit was intense, and like, like, like I'm an intense little roided up psycho who's gonna like be miserable, really, uh, yeah, miserable bastard, yeah, yeah a shit, a guy who's gonna be like really intense and also like a fucking psycho to be around. And uh, but I think Davy Boy Smith may have been the more skilled wrestler of the two. Dynamite Kid has, I think, a bigger rap, but Davy Boy Smith had some, you know, he had. I don't think Dave, Dynamite Kid could have done the Davy Boy Smith Bret Hart stuff that he did, you know, in the nineties and, you know, but obviously Dave Boy Smith had his own issues, right? That, uh, I mean, wrestling in the eighties, man, that, that it's a rough, it's not a bunch of guys on Twitch playing video games, right? It's just a bunch of guys, you know, blowing, uh, you know, doing uh, lines of ketamine and like, you know, molesting each other in the shower and doing horrible things to people. I mean, you know, there's, I'm sure I don't know. I haven't heard the stories about the warlord. I can't imagine the world would do Davy Boy was literally, according to Brett, high on crack 
during their 92 SummerSlam match or had just gotten off of a bender, essentially, with uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Uh, so I'm not speaking out of school, I think, when I say, like, Davey Boy, if you look at the trajectory of his career, he did have real potential to be basically what you're looking at with in terms of, like, a like a proto, uh, almost primordial uh, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, that kind of infusion of the WWE style and the British style of kind of showmanship with a bit of like the I'm thinking of like the world of sport there's there's a much more it's hard to explain if you haven't seen it but British wrestling feels like it can be both more realistic and even less realistic than like the worst, least realistic Lucha Libre is like, you've probably watched a lot more world of sport, British wrestling than I have. How do you feel about that assessment in terms of like the British style as it translate to America specifically? See, I don't you know the realistic stuff. I mean, I, professional wrestling is not realistic, right? So I don't, it's realistic. It's there's the things that about British wrestling that are, not realistic in a different way than the things about American wrestling that aren't realistic. It's not like that stuff is realistic either. An Irish whip makes no sense, right? So it's like if you're going to be the guy who's saying, well, this doesn't, this looks silly. It's like, yeah, the other stuff you like looks silly too. It just looks silly in a different way. And if you grew up in, you know, Kensington or some shit like that, watching World of Sport, I'm sure the silly parts of American wrestling will look super silly to you. And, and, Similarly, if you grew up in Guadalajara, the silly parts of American and British wrestling will look at you, and the Lucha stuff doesn't. So I, I just, I think, you know, things have their own internal logic, right? So British wrestling has its own internal logic, and it's like a it's like a vibe that you get into. And I've lots of the stuff is I, I love, and David Smith has some fun stuff in, in, in as young David before he ended up in America, too, in Britain. And he had a really great, him and Regal had a WCW pay-per-view match where they just said, fuck it, we're just doing World of Sport on this pay-per-view. <laughs> Nobody's paid any attention to us. We're just going to do a bunch of, like, Johnny Saint spots and and uh, Mal Sanders spots, and we're going to do it here. So that he could definitely, he's, he, you know, I think he was more of, like, a work-rate guy in WWF than a, than a real British guy. I mean, the British Bulldogs were, like, a work-rate tag team. They were, like, the young punks. Right? Yeah. They were just like, we're going to do a million moves. It's going to be really... In the sense of the way anybody would work, like, you know, in a work rate guy for 80s WWF tag wrestling. But, you know, he had, did some interesting, cool stuff as a singles wrestler. He, you know, he's he had a good career. You know, his, oh, yeah. I think his story was that he was one of those people that got injured on the trap door. Yeah, uh, yeah, he got injured on the trap door, and then he he had uh, had drug uh, problems. And once the painkillers hit, it was that was game over. Well, fucking trapdoor, Jesus! It's like if you were the guy who thought up the trapdoor, Eric Bischoff, maybe you should never talk about anything about professional wrestling again. You should have the humility to just walk away rather than criticize anybody else because you had the idea of putting like a fucking wood trapdoor in the middle of the ring that like crippled eight guys because they were taking bumps on it because uh, you're a fucking idiot, right? Like it just it you just, him come down with the people. This ultimate warrior. I remember I. One of the Vianos broke their neck on the trap door. And I was at a house show like three days after that happened. And like the Viano was working that house show. And it was, I mean, it was like, I, was, I remember thinking, it was like, did he break his neck? What is he doing working this like unsmart tag at this house show? And my guess is that nobody told him that he had like health insurance and would be paid, any, would be paid anyway. Because that's not the way it works in Mexico, right? In Mexico, you break your neck. Oh, okay, I got five more gigs to do, or else, like, what am I gonna, you know, I gotta, I gotta pay, I gotta I pay rent. So I just gotta wrestle with this, and I'm sure he he just showed up at the house show, and then like, because he didn't, because it was like he wrestled at that house show and didn't wrestle again for another like eight months, right? And I think it was must have happened is somebody just kind of said, no, no, they'll pay you anyway. He's like, oh, really? I can just go to the doctor? I don't have to continue to take bumps with this broken neck? Sweet, I'm gonna go do that. <laughs> Are you sure? All right. I, if you insist. We right. definitely worked his house on his I remember being very confused because I thought he broke his neck like on Thunder like three days ago. <laughs> Just like in there. You know, still, I mean, he wasn't, he was taking bumps and shit. I mean, you know, the Vianos are psychos, you know, for sure. Like, all, all the old Luchador is a crazy person, right? Um, but I remember the, yeah, the trap door. The fucking fish off. What a dipshit. I mean, unbelievable. And, and, but yeah, and, it's like, kind of, and I think he got kind of he got kind of put in a shitty position after Montreal too, right? Like yeah. similar. Yeah. They um, both, both him and Owen had the weird, like we're still stuck here kind of thing. Uh, especially yeah. like Owen had a weird pocket um, 
where he was like feuding with Vince McMahon before Stone Cold was. They like almost did a dry run with the Stone Cold stuff of like the the badass that wants to beat the shit out of the boss with Owen. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it didn't work out, obviously. And then, you know. Speaking of, you know. Speaking of irresponsible workplace safety issues, yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just, uh, that whole thing worked out. So did you watch the promos before the match? Um, I would assume. What you missed, and this is important, was a cavalcade of uh, dog puns from Slick and Warlord. Yeah, so what I also love is that this is like your match, and this is one of the, the things that I thought was fun, is your match is like both important and uh, it's uh interpromotional match as far as i can tell based on your story about it in way of the blade um that it was an interpromotional match between war and uh new japan right and it was as far as i can tell the main event for that show as a yeah so it's the main event of that show uh that is like as Four contacts. Was that as big? Tenru didn't work under cards. Tenru was involved. Yeah. It was the event. That's how. That's how, that guy's oh, not. Of course, yeah. Mid card stuff in war. That's his promotion. He's the top. Yeah. Pro, um, pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, which was going on around the same time. Often Fujiwara would work mid card pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi matches, and not the guys of undercard. Tenru's he's in the main event of the war. That guy's that guy's one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling history. So yeah. Especially something like this, where you like, I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute. Three of the biggest stars in professional wrestling history were in that tag match. So it's like. That's what I'm saying. It's like, this is an enormous match in terms of popularity. And I like, it's funny because I felt the same thing watching the WrestleMania 7 match. Every time I watch it, I am surprised at how involved and how hot the crowd is, especially for the end. They, like, jump up when Bulldog wins that match in a way that blew my mind. I was like, it's a British Bulldog Warlord match. And then I watched it 10 more times and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. This match, they are like molten fucking hot for like 90% of it. I mean, like every time these dudes touch each other, there's like excitement. And then when uh, we'll get into it, Hashimoto comes in with the hot tag and the crowd is just on fire and he is kicking dudes all over the place. <laughs> One of the my, my all, one of my all time. We'll talk about that in a second. I think we'll, we'll, I, yeah. I don't want to short shrift the warlord to talk about Shinya. Yeah, I actually, a hundred percent want to short shrift the warlord. Just talk about Shinya. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so yeah, no. I mean, I think that part of it was the WrestleMania atmosphere, and also this was just a very, very smartly put together professional wrestling match, right? Yes. Yeah, th- that's exactly what draw- drew me to it. Is it's like, oh, you did the spot, and that made sense. Everything was deliberate and had a purpose, and they executed it as best as they could. And that's just putting together a good match. It had good psychology, right? And, and, and built really well to the moment of catharsis when he gets that power slam up. It really is like you know they they set that. I, this is a much smarter match than a lot of matches which are getting, you know, seven, five, six, seven, eight, eleven, fourteen stars from Meltzer. Right? Like the 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 obviously the athleticism isn't there, right? I mean, or it is Bulldog's pretty athletic. <laughs> Warlord, I guess yeah. is doesn't I mean it wouldn't surprise me if like the Warlord couldn't do a push up. Like, you know, he's just like, I mean, he is so bloated and roided up and it's enormous, but he doesn't feel like he's like one of those guys that's on a lot of steroids, but has like zero actual athleticism. Like, you know, he looks like Robert yeah. Kennedy, um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Doing the, <laughs> he got jacked up, but like bench pressing like 111 pounds. I mean, that's what it's kind of like, right? He doesn't look like a guy who's actually, like he doesn't it look like Warlord would be dead last in like if they ran a hundred yard dash with like guys in the WWE, like he would lose. <laughs> Right, like he'd lose to Tenta in a hundred yard dash because like Tenta was like a sumo and an actual athlete, probably played college football. Yeah. Like the warlord, I didn't get a sense. I don't get a sense had any like athletic. He tell he looks like the quintessential and Sting did this too, so it's not necessarily where you came from, but like a guy at a gym saw him and went, "Hey, you could do professional wrestling," which is basically what happened with Warrior and happened with Sting. So it was a very common recruitment tool in the night early the late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties was just like, You're big and have a good look. I think we could figure out this wrestling thing. Uh he did not 
so much figure out the wrestling thing but whoever and i don't know who the agent was obviously i don't like have that listed in the back of my head you don't right you sick freak no i don't i I was gonna know i mean i'm still looking at wikipedia no a hundred percent working out at a gym owned by world warrior animal (laughs) exactly like working at a gym owned by road warrior animal and road warrior animal said jesus you're big we should uh, uh, let me introduce you to dusty and like was basically with central states right like you know uh went to japan i mean was was you know like really was in was in uh jim crockett promotions like a year into his wrestling career was teaming with the uh you know ivan koloff teaming with the barbarian that was like that was a sick fourteen months after uh, after Anim- after uh, Royal Warrior Animal saw him at the gym, right? Like he was the guy who who, who <laughs> spent a ton of time in the mats, right? And you know, yeah, he yeah, he didn't ever. Look. I don't want to say he didn't pay his dues, but he didn't have a lot of ring time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and you can see it and you can see the difference in development between someone like Warlord, who is a, a decent statue. Like he looks good in a, in that 90s statue kind of way. Uh, and his gimmick is good. He has a good, there's a good dynamic with him and Slick. I liked all the cutaways to Slick. I love Slick. Slick's one of my favorite managers and probably my favorite manager outside of Heenan from that era. Um, like I can't fucking stand Jimmy Hart. Holy shit. Oh, man. Hey, baby! I love you. I'm like, I just want to strangle you into your head pops and you never talk again. You're supposed to want that. He's a heel manager. <laughs> That's But I turn off the matches. Jimmy Hart was bumping as a great pop. I love Jimmy Hart. I mean, I, well, I'm a Memphis guy, right? So Jimmy Hart Lawler is like one of the great feuds of all time. And Lawler Hart was incredible in that. And I mean, it was mm-hmm. a little irritating in the WWF, but I think you know, a big bumper. And I, 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 Slick, I don't know, man, Slick, Slick's tough, man. It's 2023. You know what I'm saying? Like Slick, Slick's a rough rewatch. 2023, 2023 eyes. I mean, it's just like, I like to believe that he was living his truth on. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if you guys are going to see the video, but, uh, Phil rolled his eyes so thoroughly they popped out of his skull, spun around, and popped back in like a cartoon. Um, <laughs> sort of. I mean, I like my. I like. Slick never really took any bombs. I like your. your if you're gonna get a WWE, if you're gonna waste my time in the WWE manager. I want you to be Heenan or Jimmy Hart, where you're like bumping huge, right? I mean, Heenan's nobody's better. He, yeah. Heenan's Heenan. It's like Heenan Cornette. You know. J.J. Dillon, Gary Hart, I think, or the Rushmore. I don't know if uh, who's. You don't have uh, to you. Heyman's a fundamentally different beast because he's not maybe, a real bumper. Maybe Heyman, he's not a real bumper. He was at one but, point. I think he got injured a lot. I mean, he used to yeah. take like F fives from Brock Lesnar at every house show and like fuck his yeah. whole body. Yeah, and he used to. I know he worked a match with uh, God, one of the other managers. It's totally Jim Cornette, I think. He works a he worked a pay per view match with one of the other managers, uh, and like Jim Cornette can actually like kind of work a little like he's he can do like worker. I mean he he is he is uh, yeah uh, he's a, I'm as a seller all that stuff, but he can actually like do some offense. Paul Heyman not so much. So like the match actually kind of works because it's not just two guys that are in there selling right. Yeah. It's a guy who can kind of do offense against the other guy. Yeah. Uh, Cornette's kind of a an irritating presence in current wrestling that was obviously incredible. Yeah. In old- oh, I love. We did a whole. Yeah, we did a whole episode on how wrestling explains on Cornette, and then we tied it to slops versus snobs. Mm. Uh, like we, D- Dave and I uh, loved Cornette as a wrestling person, and uh, think he's mostly an idiot outside of the like actual on-screen character he's bit. got himself, um, he's got himself a good shtick right i mean there are like a lot of fucking cornet weirdos out there and i think he's making a pretty good living doing what he's doing and wrestling is yeah oh yeah wrestling in it at its heart is a fucking business of con men and cardi so if he's come up with i'm not gonna mm-hmm. i'm not gonna fucking hate a dude because he's come up with a good carny con i mean god bless oh yeah yeah he's not vince russo nobody's getting hurt with his dumb shit <laughs> And I love how he leans into the fact that he's a swinger. That I always find is funny. He's like, "Yeah, I'm a swinger." What? 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 Are you gonna make me feel bad about it? Like, 
that shit's not gonna work. I mean, Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette's uh, scale in it of for like wrestling is still way on the plus, way on the plus side. I mean, Vince Russo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The ledger the positives yeah. are zero, and the negatives are enormous, right? I mean, there's a single positive thing that human that guy's ever done in his entire life. I mean, I don't know. Maybe yeah, he's got kids. Maybe his kids are okay, but probably not. I mean, the yeah. kids are probably <laughs> the way it usually works, right? I mean, like so, or like something. Whereas, like Cornette, it's like, oh well, I really love Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I love like the Midnight Express. I love all this stuff, right? Like, you know, and, and he's an asshole on the internet. Whereas, like, Vince Russo, like, all the things he actually did in wrestling were horrible, and then he's an asshole on the internet, too. So it's like, okay, you don't even... You don't yeah, even, you, don't, you don't even get a free pass. I, don't know, shit. Yeah, I don't know. I was really... I mean, being a WCW guy for a lot of my... for As a as a as my primary wrestling promotion that was really, you know, was my thing for most of my childhood and early 20s. Like, him coming in and just fucking diarrhea shitting all over WCW. It was just like... I really like visceral. I don't you know. It's like just the worst. Like I fucking hate him. Right? Because like, you know, where oh, it's, was a mess back then, but at least it was a mess that yeah, I, I could understand and appreciate parts of. And then like when he came out, I was like, this is just awful garbage. Oh yeah, no. There's a clear. We've uh, I've done like rewatches of the older, the late era, and it's one of the few times where it's like you genuinely do not care about anybody other than yourself at the like when you're talking to the crowd you don't care about the people in the crowd you don't care about anybody in the back other than like becoming buddies with them i I, he yeah i I think we're in agreement on vince russo which is good um we are i think i think we have same similar feelings about this match too which is that it's a very very well put together match that warlord is in and bulldog does an okay job executing right i think that's the fairest assessment I would, loved, I would love to see the same match with the oh, yeah. against the Barbarian, who's like the guy, member of that tag team wrestle, right? Like, although it's funny, you know, like you're way post Warlord, like when he returned, you know, way after, you know, retired. Apparently, I'm looking at Wikipedia, he retired in '96 because he got into a car accident with a Pizza Hut delivery van and fucked his neck up. Um, and so he ran the pizza pizza hut guy ran into him, or he ran into the pizza hut guy, hurt his neck, retired. I mean, he didn't have a very long career, he really only wrestled 10 years, right? Like, he started in '86 mm-hmm. and retired in '96, right? Um, but he did kind of have like a weird indie run, like in the 2000, 2000 to like you know, 2012, 2004 to like 2012, where I mean, where he actually wrestled a bunch. Um, like on the indies teaming with as in in on like teaming I'm gonna look up the actual the cage match for the warlord here. Uh teaming with the barbarian and like mm-hmm. doing nostalgia matches, right? Powers of Pain. Pretty good. Like I remember liking him more as like a semi washed up guy wrestling indie matches and so he had like here so he wrestled he wrestled uh he basically retired in ninety ninety left WCW. He was in WCW. Do you know he's in WCW in like the nineties as Super Assassins? None. Yeah. So the Super Assassins, who I think were him and Barbarian, had a short run, real short, like five match run. They worked the Nasty Boys at a sa- on a Saturday night. They worked a World War Three. They worked the State Patrol on Worldwide. They lost to Luger and Sting on Nitro. Um, and then he wrestled, <laughs> Such a bad he wrestled one match teaming with Typhoon against the Harrises in 97. So he wrestled, ended 90, okay, he doesn't have everything. He worked, uh, he worked one match against the Harrises like a year and a half after leaving W his three matches in WCW. Um, uh, which I imagine is not great. Like him and the Harrises, the Typhoon and the Warlord Harrises in 97. In a, in a show that had Valentine Beefcake on it, Steve Kern, a uh, friend of the pod, Steve Kern, or my pod, Steve Kern, Vladimir Koloff, Jim Neinhardt, Hercules, B. Brian Blair, Texas Hangman number one in Key West, Florida. <laughs> that show. Good Lord. Wow. So then, he goes, then he goes away for six years, but then has like a pretty long, like he has like 50 or so matches, including one like uh, like a month ago. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. He's he he's been 
So obviously he dropped off in 2020, but he had been pretty consistently working basically, you know, like he has one where he goes, he has four straight days of working in uh, Canada. Like he, <laughs> we're going through his entire IMDb. Um, but yeah, he's, he is a guy who had the look, seemed to get it, right? Like he seemed to understand where to stand and shit like that, but he couldn't get there. So like, and, and like I said, he takes one or two bumps where you're like, oh, you can, that is like the one thing you can kind of sort of do a little bit is you can kind of like bump and powder. Like, and that's a useful skill when you look like that. I think based on this, like he, and you, like what you said, he's just a guy that needed more reps. And that is part of the problem of a lot of these mid, these early nineties WrestleMania, uh, like even WrestleMania level matches in WWF in particular, is there's kind of no development system because the territories are gone essentially, and there's no like you just get a guy, you find him at a gym, you have him learn a couple of moves, uh, learn how to bump, and you kind of put him out there and let him get reps on TV and on house shows. And I don't think that is like a viable uh, way to do it. And I, I what I liked, and and please. So were those, uh, and we're gonna talk, start talking about the the um, the war match now. But I have one question before we we take our break. Um, the people who come in the ring at the end of the match are those New Japan young boys, or are they like just do all promotions have young boys? Does that make sense? You know when they're 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 too. It's like they they start yeah. fighting with each so, other, like the undercard war. Okay. Yeah, Japan. Almost all promotions in Japan, unless they're really even the small ones, have like that sort of you know series you know, period where people work mm-hmm. as apprentices uh, and train and, and like you know work in the work at you know I mean indie U.S. indie promotions have that too, right? You'll see like yeah, I've uh, my first one of the first things I wrote for the Ringer was actually about NY Dub C uh, New York Wrestling Connection out on Long Island and uh, basically how they're uh, like a a feeder system. Uh, Oh my God! Uh, not Matt, Matt Cordona and uh, Brian Myers are both. They they worked there. Uh, Matt Strikers worked there a couple of times. So it's a place that people have come through, and and we have those now. But that is not something you saw. And and so yeah, like I said, we're gonna hit a break. You'll hear an ad, and then when we come back, uh, we'll start talking about the war match. Before we do that, I want, I want to talk about a couple of the highlights of the Warlords indie run. Okay. Uh, before- Move on. This is important to me. There was a series. I'm looking at this now. Series of like north of southern, like tor- tornado tag team cage matches against the Rock and Roll Express, where they worked this as like a series in in like March and April of 2016, like five or six cage matches against Rock and Roll Express. I think I've seen one of those and liked it, but I may be wrong. So that was interesting. And then I I don't know if you knew this. They worked Chakar. I did not know that. That as is a tag awesome. Team. We should probably try to, <laughs> but including including working a King of Trios, mm-hmm. um, 2012, where they uh, where they uh, the, the the faces of pain, which were Barbarian Ming and the Warlord, lost to uh, the team of uh, Mike Bennett and the Young Bucks, which is a match I think I've definitely seen, but don't. Yeah, I kind of want to watch that now. But that's an amu- really amusing, like uh, six guys to have a match in Chikara. Chikara was, you know, was pretty dumb in a lot of ways, but would occasionally do cool shit like that, right? Like we're, we're bringing in, you know, there was also a, that same King of Trios had a, a extreme trio, Jerry Lynn, Tommy Dreamer, Two Gold Scorpio against Team WWF, which is One Two Three Kid, Aldo Montoya, and Tata. That's actually pretty solid, especially the uh, the PJ, yeah. uh, the Just Incredible and the... Um the Sean Waltman of it. They're pretty good workers, especially in 2012. Well, yeah, it's supposed to go to school. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, the extreme was, team was, all of them were like, yeah, they're just, they're incredible. <laughs> Tommy Dreamer. Oh, I, didn't even, <laughs> yeah, just, I, I didn't even count Tommy Dreamer as a person. He's just like a, <laughs> you talk about being constructed entirely a gabagool from our previous episode. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right so we're gonna ha- we're gonna pop into a break when we come back we're gonna go to war uh see what i did there huh yeah. huh <laughs> yeah oh war very excited 
In 2017, Universal Studios announced The Dark Universe, an ambitious project that would see all of their classic movie monsters come together like some kind of horror Avengers. Only one movie was ever made, which bombed so hard they canceled the entire franchise. But what if they hadn't? On our podcast, Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, we imagine the connected horror universe that never was. Every week, one of us pitches the other on the next movie in the universe until we grow to Marvel proportions and beyond. So far, we've tackled Frankenstein, The Wolfman, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and many more, and we're just getting started. Follow along on your favorite podcast app and ask yourself the question, Are you afraid of the dark universe? And we are back. Thanks as always. Well, not as always. Hopefully we have other sponsors at some point to the folks at Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe? Dylan and Dalton. Uh, so we, like I mentioned earlier, did a fun tag team match. I'm not even going to try with these names, Phil. Can you explain to us and re just reintroduce the match? Uh, just basically, you know, give us a little context for what the hell we were watching. This match is... Uh... Jedichiro Tenro and Takashi Ishikawa uh, representing Wrestle in Romance War uh, versus Riki Choshu and Shinya Hashimoto representing New Japan Pro Wrestling from War, April 2nd, 1993. Um, so what's going on here is you have uh, Jedichiro Tenro left all Japan and formed Super World Sport, SWS. Uh, with an eyeglasses company uh, that had Tenru as their spokesman, so then they ran a professional wrestling promotion. Uh, and which I love. Uh, I do want to interject real quick. Uh, you do put in your book just Japan is weird, which I think accurate explains like half of the other shit in your book. <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, so SWS had a couple of good years, and then SWS folded, and then he uh, sort of took a lot of the guys that he took with him from all Japan to form SWS and formed War Wrestle and Romance, which was like a, you know, similar promotion, a little less of a budget. He didn't have all that eyeglasses money. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so it's like, uh, and this is uh, one of the things that this allowed him to do is there in Japan, there was, you know, all Japan and New Japan and these two promotions that kept basically completely apart for almost their entire run, uh, big run in the in the 80s and the 90s. Didn't have any real interaction at all. You know, like Misawa, Kawada, Tawe, Kobashi, those guys never wrestled. Muda, Hashimoto, um, you know, uh, Choshu, all the, um, all those, oh, Choshu wrestled those guys earlier, but like the, the, in, there was never any interaction between the two. But Tenru, because he mm -hmm. was in war, kind of allowed him to work all these interpromotional feuds. So he worked a feud with New Japan, he worked a few with FMW, he worked a few with UWFI. Uh, so it was a chance to see this guy, you know, this big star interact with all these other big stars that he kept basically uh, kept uh, siloed from. Um, Choshu is the other guy who jumped around a lot. He's in this match. And Choshu and Tenra had a big feud in all Japan uh, with each other. So this was kind of like a reunion of those guys who really went at it a lot in the 80s, coming back in the 90s and going back after each other. But this was basically what you, the feud was pretty simple. War was war and New Japan was New Japan and they were going to try to kill each other. And uh, yeah, and it, the crowd totally. And we talked about this. We definitely touched on this earlier. But the crowd is like unbelievably hot. For basically, like this is, this actually reminds me a lot of ways, uh, though the stakes are different, of the 1987 Road Warriors versus Tully and Arn match in terms of like the crowd being like, every time they touched each other, it was like a, the crowd got into it. It Like there's a real palpable sense of like you, you talk about in the book and, and having watched it definitely described it very well of them just like swinging at each other to start this match it is kind of i want to say and not in a bad way not in a derogatory way it is kind of the opposite almost of the warlord bulldog match where like they're there's psychology to it it's a tag match and they're you know they're cheating they're doing shit but it's not like it's really well executed 
these guys don't like each other. They're going to kick and punch the shit out of each other to hurt one another because they don't like each other. And that is as good a reason as you can possibly have for a wrestling match. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it really is those, it really is a pair, you know, four guys who have this, you know, it's like, a, like you see, it's a sports thing in a lot of ways, right? Like, like you might see in a really ugly, um, you might see in a really ugly, uh, sorry, you might see in a really ugly, like, seven game NBA series where they just start. By That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. X. It's like, I, I fucking hate these guys and I'm going to, you know, and the fouls come a little harder, but that's how they start basically is they can't, these two, these four guys can't see. I mean, Tenro and Choshu, they, those guys have not been able to see each other for a long time. Those guys, if you were feuded had a big feud and like, like I mentioned in the, in the mid eighties um, and, you know, are just are going to go, you know, re, sort of rekindle that here. Hashimoto, you know, is the, at this point the, trying to vie to be the biggest star in Japan, right? And Tenru has this sort of gravitas of being from a slightly earlier generation. And Hashimoto is going to be trying to, you know, rip his head off, basically. Um, yeah, and I want to talk about Hashimoto because I had literally never seen a Hashimoto match. I'm in love. He's my one of my that man was one of my all time favorites. I fucking love Shingashima. I was like, why had I not heard him of him? And I I, 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 I talked about this earlier. I started watching in about two thousand again in about two thousand five, and he had I believe passed away roughly around that period from an aneurysm. Yeah. Like he died very young, um, very very like horrifically young. Yeah, still still a very active wrestler. Had his own promotion, Zero One, at that point. Um, He's a guy yeah. I got to see, you know, one of the great live wrestling experiences of my life was I got to see a, in a, in a armory or a school gymnasium or something like that in Pennsylvania. Shinya Hashimoto came over when he was the NWA champion and worked a, um, a four-way Ironman match. 30 minute. It was a four-way 30-minute most pins Ironman match with Steve, Jesus Christ. Steve Carino, <laughs> Uh, Dylan Knight gear and Gary Steele for the NWA title. And it was like, I don't know. There was probably, I don't know, 115 people in the gym. It was just incredible. Like he's just like my guy. It's like watching, like it would be like watching Elvis play a bar or something like that. Where it's like, what? Yeah, that's exactly like music and, and wrestling are the two places where you can see like honest to God geniuses doing shit in front of like 10 people. And you're just like, I'm Okay. Like, <laughs> Hashimoto was full Hashimoto. I mean, he was like absolutely obliterating the three guys he was in the ring with with like kicks. And yeah. he threw his headband. He always throws his headband into the crowd. That's the thing he does in every match. So I caught, yeah. I have a signed Shin Hashimoto headband like hanging up in my That's closet awesome. uh, that I was able to grab at this show in front of nobody. It was like, you know, and just so incredible to watch him live and, and you know, and uh, I really kind of regret that I didn't just grateful dead it on his entire U.S. tour and just just go to like five Shin Yashimoto shows instead of just one Shin Yashimoto. I'm not doing anything. I wasn't married. I could have just driven around and followed him to the you know the other shows that he worked on that tour. Yeah, and he is palpably great the second he starts swinging. Like he is. Yeah. He looks like a guy that could beat the shit out of you. He punches and kicks like a guy that could be like, he just looks like a guy who can beat the shit out of you and make it look good. And that is uh, like, we just said, all you want from a professional wrestler. Like I instant, like I said, instantly fell in love. I was like, who is this boy? <laughs> First time I saw Shino Hashimoto, Russell was in WCW. He worked. I'm trying to find it. He worked, I think the NWA tag tournament. From like one of the uh, um, super brawls or some shit or earlier, the Great American Bash. Oh, okay, uh, he worked uh, with Hiroshi Hase in the NWA World Tag Team Tournament against uh, the fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes, <laughs> and it's like, and uh, he just, you know, I remember him just kicking the living shit out of Jimmy Garvin. I was like, what is this? Because I didn't really ever see Do you owe that motherfucker like, money. Wrestling. <laughs> Throw those kind of kicks. That's it. Like yeah. in 92, 
U.S. stuff, and all of a sudden this guy is like, you know, vivisecting Jimmy Garvin with like kicks to the ribs, and he's like, not small. I was like, like he's a beefy boy, like not Brady, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he. Yeah, and then they're. they're it it kind of has a Samoa Joe vibe if Samoa Joe's arms were legs. Does that make sense? Like in terms of like Samoa Joe's an incredibly fast mover. He has good kick, but like he has the strikes and shit like that that are incredible, especially for a guy his size. It kind of they kind of have similar vibes, at least in the one thing I've seen. Is that is something like does that hit? Well, Samoa Joe, an early I actually was talking. It's funny I was talking a little about this on, on when I did the Mass Man show last week. Samoa Joe start early early part of his career was spent in zero one. Oh, okay, and yeah. you know, like before he went to ROH, he worked. He came over. There was a zero one had a bunch of California, like Southern California indie guys as part of their like American crew. So Tom Howard and uh, was a big guy that worked there a lot, and he brought over other like American dudes from that scene like you know southern california scene not pwg scene as much as as, as like the as the other scene and this is a little before PWG. whatever so he didn't bring over super dragon but he's bringing over other like big sort of like socal dudes so and if you ever if you ever hear joe talk about his time in zero one one of the things he talked about he said the senior hasamoto was the guy that he learned the most from because Hashimoto was like the boss there, and Hashimoto was like, this is the story that Joe tells about how Hashimoto said, you know, all those moves and everything like that, those are great. It doesn't really matter. What's important is this right here, the fire in your eyes. So, yeah, I mean, Joe is like a Hashimoto okay. guy. Yeah, he's like that. Because yeah, they very similar, mm-hmm. I'm going to fuck you up because I can vibes. And that is what I love Joe the most, is Joe is... Joe and Eddie Kingston remind me a lot of each other as well, where it's just like, you seem like you'd be good at this, even if it were real fighting. I would want to watch you fight and beat the shit out of you. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's this very real thing. I'm happy they're professional wrestlers kind of thing. And I, again, this is the only match I've ever seen of him. I'm very happy that this man was a professional wrestler. <laughs> I mean, it's a, you could go on a Shinya Hajimoto deep dive, and there are some real joyous joyous incredible Shinyashimoto. this is a great match but Shinyashimoto is what you know had a run there where he was you know having just incredible incredible matches with you know great wrestlers you know big main events in tokyo domes and things like that as well as like cool shit like this where he was you know you know more ugly little fights he, he's the best he's he really is one of, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers and i mean i really love all four of these guys i mean these are these are four guys tenru is also the one of the greatest of all time. And, and, you know, and Choshu obviously is this, you know, Titanic superstar with all of this. And that Takeshi isn't. And what is so great about this match is that he isn't, he is a guy who didn't have this kind of career was a ex sumo dude, like Tenru and kind of like hung around, was like in the Tenru crew of guys. So he's in SWS. And then he went to war and then he had his own promotion for a little while, which I don't really think any of it exists on tape, but he wasn't a guy who had, you know, a, isn't a guy who would, would make a list of the hundred greatest wrestlers of all time, or maybe even the 500 greatest, but was the fact that he was over his head, which I think one of the coolest things about this match is that he was in there. It was like, Jesus, I'm all of a sudden running, I'm a division three guy played a couple years of division three college basketball. And I'm in a, a pickup, a pickup run at rocker with all NBA guys. Yeah. So now I just got to keep up, man. Yeah. Look, I don't want to play basketball too. So it's not like I don't, I can't shoot or I can't dribble. So I'm just going to get here. And it's like, I'm going to try to D up Kevin Durant the best I can uh, and do what I can do. Cause I'm in here too. And that's what it really felt like. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm a tough guy. I'm not going to back down from Ricky Choshu, even though that's Ricky Choshu. I'm not going to, back down from Shinya Hashimoto, even though that's Shinya Hashimoto. I'm going to get in there and, and scrap as much as I can, even though, you know what, I don't belong here. And the, the I don't belong here part of it is what I love so much about this match. Like, I, Takeshi Ishikawa is my favorite guy in this match, like his performance in this yeah. match. Because he's so great as a guy who's just like, you know, I'm, I got to try to keep my head above water in a, in a whirlpool where I'm going down, man. Because I'm in here with like, I don't know, three of the biggest stars of, of the three of the, top 30 biggest stars in professional wrestling history, maybe. Yeah. These are a guy who's you know. stars, right? Like to contextualize it for right. American fans that aren't familiar. Like these are yeah, this, this, 
Hogan, Rock, Austin yeah, level yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. Like it's insane that they had a tag match at a promotion that you know, like like at a not a small promotion, but not like like the, if the WWE. This would be like if I feel like though you said it'd be basically like AFW, AEW had the Hogan like at the end of one of their pay per views had like Hogan and Austin versus like the Rock and uh, Hurricane <laughs> Helms. I don't even know. I don't know, maybe a little like Eddie Kingston. If Eddie Kingston got stuck in that match, right? Where it's just like, you know, I think there's a similar kind of thing. It's like, yeah, lunch pill dude. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to, you know, I don't care. I'm not going to back down from anybody. Though I do um, like at the end and when they're standing, because this is actually the the uh, illustration that you have in the, in the uh, book of them. And I, I forgot which one is yelling at them. I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's Choshu is yelling at them, and they are just like covered in blood on the floor, and like looking at him like this motherfucker is crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's this like really the after the match stuff is as cool and as visceral and as like hot as any of the stuff that happens in the match, and like and it does, but it doesn't take away. It's like no, they're pissed that they lost this match and are going to beat the shit out of the guys who won the match because they're pissed that they lost the match. Like it's just like a good fight. And I love the end and the shot that you guys use of just like, that was a lot. And these motherfuckers are crazy. <laughs> and they, you know, ran versions of this a ton in this period, right? They had matches like this, you know, some variation of guys, sometimes it was Fujinami, sometimes it, uh, and the new Japan crew or sometimes it was, Orohara was a guy who worked a lot as as, as a tenry tag partner, and uh, so um, Hara, uh, just like you know, like other guys mixed into this. But this sort of like war versus New Japan thing, there was probably two dozen or matches over this period of this, and they were. I mean, I don't know. This is probably my favorite one, but man, they're all really great, and you can make arguments for other ones too. And then Tenru and Hashimoto had a couple, had a, peer, a series of singles matches around this period where they were just like, you know, as you as you might imagine what these two guys in a big singles match would do to each other. Like, I mean, because, you know, Tenru is a maniac, and Hashimoto is just like a pair of the two toughest guys in the world just standing in front of each. I mean, that's the, one of the reasons that, like, you know, form exchangey Japanese wrestling doesn't in 2023 doesn't do it for me. It's because this is the kind of shit, man. Like it's just like you know, like Okada can't do this, and even Ishii can't do this, right? Like this is Ishii's kind of wrestling. But man, Ishii was like the 11th best guy in war for doing this. Where there was like you know, you go to this car. He was a war guy. He's like the last of the war guys, but he wasn't like the best of the war guys. I mean, he's okay. He's not Takashi Ishikawa. You know, what I mean? it's not like he's not at that level. And so it's like when you see like a guy, a couple guys like go, stand in front of each other and throw forearms. It's like, oh, this is kind of cool. But man, I saw. Tenru do this, yeah. and this is not Tenru. These guys are not Tenru, you know. And 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 it's one of the reasons, like, I'm probably like a low voter on a lot of the current like Japanese. So do you? Because th this is Japanese. So uh, here, and I think we can end on this. Um, has Japanese wrestling got more? Um, or it's less your bag, your low voter, as you like to say, on it. Uh, has the same thing happened for American wrestling? Like, do you feel like they've progressed in different ways? Or do you feel like American wrestling kind of got into, like, a space where it's serviceable? Where Japanese wrestling was so great, even the, the very good stuff feels only serviceable relative to, like, this kind of stuff? I, mean, I don't know, this is where you're asking me, you know, Dick, I'm an old grump, man. I'm, you know, in my you know, mid-40s. This is the way people in their mid-40s think about anything that's current in any genre of anything, right? Like, do, do I like do I like punk rock as much as I did, like, you know, in the 90s? No! Like, it's like, do I like rap music as much as I do in the 90s? No! It's, it's, I mean, it's like, so, sure, no, I don't like American wrestling as much now as I liked it when I was oh, no, growing up. Oh, no, okay, I don't think so that's, that's what I was asking. I don't as much as I like NWA, yeah. I mean, it's even close, right? You know, and I like same Lucha too. Lucha too. I mean, Lucha's was at the peak was in the eighties and nineties, same thing. And the current CMLL, I've I have enjoyed parts of it. Current AAA, I like some of it, but for the most part, even like guys like I don't know, Vikingo's great. He's not Atlantis. 
He's not Santo. He's not even close. So is there? And so you know, yeah. It's like, is there anything that you think currently? Because it's funny. Because I I kind of feel the opposite like i don't like a lot of the older wrestling i like a lot more of the stuff now in terms of like a daily diet of it like i think the peaks of a lot of the stuff from when i was growing up are better but like watching superstars and watching raw i would take a hundred well, or raw Nick, or watch you- raw <laughs> raw shit too but like you know like, i mean it's Current rest, current inside. Yeah, it's better than superstars. Superstars was terrible. It was like, oh, um, look, it's another, it's another magnificent Morocco squash. And, it, and it's like, I grew up in the like era was watch- a lot of uh, uh, Jerry Lawler squash. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, it's right. It's a little different era of superstars. I my superstars is like the you get super excited because Coco Ware would have a competitive match against somebody. You're like, oh, at least this other guy's gonna also do some moves. I'm usually just watching one guy do moves yeah. on another guy, and it's really ever the guy doing moves back to him. It's just. It's just like, oh, look, uh, Brutus Beefcake's going to beat up a guy for three minutes and put him in a sleeper. So it's like when I saw, you know, when I actually got to see, like, S.D. Jones throw a headbutt back, it'd be like, oh, man, this is competitive. These guys are actually competing. But I I even look. But that's not talking about. I'm talking about the difference between AEW and, like, and, and, you know, like, 1987 NWA. Like, and I like AEW, but it's not 19. Not even like you know the best dynamite is like a would be a mediocre WCW World Championship Wrestling from '87, right? Because at no point is Dusty Rhodes ever going to come out and talk some shit, right? Is there the you know Cody nobody as much as I love the what? Cody used to yeah, flame. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, like if, right now we have Cody. We used to have Dusty, and now we have Cody. That's, Thanks, that's Obama. <laughs> There you go. That's, that's where we're at now. This is what we used to have. <laughs> so no, I mean, but this is just this is. I mean, I, again, I think this is just this is just how the world works, right? Like you're just gonna have more. You know, you're gonna not like things as much now as you liked them before. I guess television's better now than it yeah. was when I was growing up, right? Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's true. It's like you know, the bear is better than. Uh, better than uh, uh, there is no bear equivalent. I don't know. Bear better than Cheers. I don't know. Cheers is really fucking good. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it wasn't as good. But yeah, like your average thing, like your average prestige drama, is better than L.A. Law. As much as I liked L.A. Law, right? Like, so maybe that's the thing that's better. But you know, movies are worse, right? Like, music's worse. Literature's worse. Do we even have literature anymore? I'm not a reader, so I don't know. Only book I've ever read. I don't know. It's the way of the blade by Phil Schneider. Yes. Well, that's, that's the where literature's improved, right? <laughs> niche, niche obscure pro wrestling publishing is better than it's ever been. <laughs> Keep your eyes a peel on the Twitter for for books yet to come. Um, but yeah, no, I, mean, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to come on here and feel like I feel like Grandpa Simpson, but in some ways with wrestling, it really is like oh, again, I, there's I always can find things I like from current wrestling, but I mean, I, I just like, I, when I watch something like IWTV, which is this promotion, which is this uh, streaming service that has a ton of indie wrestling on it. And I just think to myself, man, this is pretty cool that like, you can watch live shows of all this stuff, but man, how incredible would this, would IWTV been in 1987 when instead of watching like live streams of, um, of black label pro, I could be watching live streams of Continental or live streams of like world class or, or mid South Coliseum or, or, or like the, or, uh, or the Omni, right? Like just every week I can just watch an Omni show on my computer, right? Like it feels like the technology came along when the art was dead. And it's like, instead I just, you know, it's like ICW no holds barred, which is fine. But you know, like I would, there's not a, I'd rather watch almost any eighties promotion than regularly than ICW no holds barred or something like that, right? Which is the kind of stuff you have available now. That's hurtful. Hurtful for the workers. No, uh, no, I, I get it. I, like I said, I think the quality of work, and I think you kind of hit on it, that the average match is like almost objectively better now than it was because there are actual competitive matches. Like a lot of those were- Well, so I, so I, I disagree with that. I think you're, I mean, when we're talking, it depends, very specifically squash match TV wrestling. Yeah. 
versus the average match. Like if we're talking about the average match on an AEW show and the average match on a Crockett house show, I don't think it's better. The average Arena Mexico main event is not better. The average New Japan main event is not better. I don't care what Meltzer says. Is not better. All Japan main events not better. I, I don't. I don't agree that the average match quality. There's more stuff. Like it's there is more things going on, but you know there was more stuff going on in Die Hard with a Vengeance than Die Hard. But that doesn't mean that anybody thinks Die Hard with a Vengeance is a better movie because like you know. Because uh, Bruce Willis jumped on a motorcycle onto a fucking jet plane. And a lot of the current, like, I, you know, I'm going to write about Omega Osprey, which is a match I kind of liked. But it's the equivalent of Bruce Willis jumping the fucking motorcycle on a jet plane. And it's just like, oh, yeah, look, there's a thousand things that you guys did in a row. One after another, one after another, a million things. And, and you know, if you're rating a match by the number of things in it, then you're going to rate this higher than a match that happened in 1987. But that's not how I, that's like I said, the number of things is not how I rate a match. Not that many things happen in this tag match, right? It's not like there's a lot of moves. No, there is not. Instead, there's just a bunch of guys holding each other, right? Like, and I would rather watch that than watch a bunch of guys doing moves. I mean, your version of your War New Japan tag was that Forbidden Board 10 man had that spirit mm-hmm. of it, right the and there was cool stuff in that and and i like that match a lot that was probably my favorite match from from forbidden door but i don't know man it's not it's pretty it's it's cool but it feels like a pretty weak sister to something like this for a very similar match and, and, and with a lot of inspirations i mean you know i think you know i know eddie kingston's the guy who's watched some war Right, like he's a guy who's watched some Tenru. He's, I'm sure he's watched this match. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm sure John Moss watched this match. I'm sure Ishii was probably uh, in the back, uh, you know, uh, uh, washing the Great Kabuki's balls or something like that as a young boy at this show. At this, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think about the time Ishii came in. He came in like around this time in war. He knows this stuff. This is all. These are all. I don't know if Kingman Page's dumbass knows anything, but you know, like this is they're, they're, these guys are trying to do this kind of stuff. But uh, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. It's just like this. That that's kind of like, oh, this is a cool homage. That it's like that ten band was like, oh, isn't it cool how Secret Invasion is kind of doing some John Lacara stuff? And it's like, I don't know. I guess I John Lacara is really good. I can just watch one of Tinker Tango Soldier Spy. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a much better version. Of yeah, it. it's like, oh no, it's, it's kind like, of the secret. It's better than them using like shitty stuff, sure, but not. It doesn't make it good. Is essentially what you're saying. It's like yeah, not oh, using shitty ingredients like doesn't make your food good. Yeah, it's like I like Captain America: Winter Soldier. It's not, it's not the parallax. It's not as good as the parallax. It's not as good as you know, like Falcon and the Snowman. It's not nearly as good a movie, even though it does a lot of the same things. So in some ways, I feel like a lot. Sometimes a lot of the current stuff, it's like that version of it, where it's like the MCU version of cool shit. We're just like I don't know. I just rather watch the cool shit than watch the That's, watch the MCU version of the cool shit. I think I think we'd have the uh, um, the I'm harder on a ten man tag that I really liked, and I'm going to write some nice things about. And it. I'm going to draw <laughs> some disgusting things. Rewatching this, it really is like, oh man, this is that is a that is a uh, I can see the inspirations, but man alive, the, the, that is not these guys can't give me this, uh, you know. The way that you know uh, that's a but that, uh, so my advice to everybody else is you know just you know if you get if you're getting sick of current wrestling just mean go on a go on a go go find a YouTube playlist of all the War versus New Japan matches and just watch all of those and that's just wrestling didn't really get much better than that <laughs> kind of this is the apex of all of it right here is these these four <laughs> guys in a in court all slicing each other's heads off so I'm trying to think of. We've watched a Yuki Ishikawa match and a Takeshi Ishikawa match. Uh, there's some Shuji Ishikawa stuff that's okay, but I don't know if we're going to go there. There's actually a big Japan deathmatch guy whose name is Yuki Ishikawa, uh, that, uh, but he's not nearly as good as the Yuki Ishikawa. No, legally we're required Very to cute. continuously do Ishikawa matches, everybody. I want you to know that. I mean, look, if we, this was just the Ishikawa pod, and we just focused almost exclusively on Takeshi and Yuki Ishikawa matches, it would be odd. We wouldn't run out. Those guys, I mean, especially Yuki, that guy's been wrestling for at a high level for a long, 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 long time. Takeshi, there's lots of stuff, but plenty, for sure. So where can they find you, Phil, on the internet? Um, uh, Twitter is uh, Phil A. Schneider on Twitter. You can buy 
uh, Way of the Blade uh, from Amazon. You can read the weekly, uh, my weekly three count column on our Patreon, which I'm sure you will link to when you post this place. Absolutely. Um, I, that's probably it for now. I, you know, I was on, uh, at some point they might run something else for me on the ringer. Who knows? I have a thing. Uh, <laughs> I've got some things in other places, which are also in, in, uh, freelance writing limbo at this point. So maybe those get published at some point too. Who knows? I'm around. I'm not hard to find. I still going to do some things on Saguna Kaida. Go buy my book. Yes. And the other book that's going to come out. Um, you can catch me at the next uh, T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. And like Phil said, uh, I'm going to link to the Patreon in the show notes. Uh, I'm also going to link to our Etsy shop. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Uh, we will be back in probably about two weeks with a new match and uh, some new viewpoints. And uh, at some point... Uh, Phil's going to find happiness, but I don't <laughs> outside of, I would assume his family who seems very wonderful. <laughs> well, I mean, I liked both. So far, I've, we've watched four matches. I've liked them all. Even the, even the WWF stuff you keep making me watch. I've enjoyed both of those matches. Never